Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to kind of jump right in this morning as we're going to be reading verses 11 through 16. Uh, But Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11, says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility." by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come to you right now in your word, God, we ask that you bless this time that we are spending uh, in, in this book, in this life-giving word that you have given us. God, I pray that for everyone that is here, everyone that is here uh, hearing this online or maybe later on the podcast, that God, that you uh, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to what you would have to say to us through your word this morning. Father, we, um, I take it this time and I ask once again that you, uh, through your Holy Spirit, that you would anoint me, that you would speak through me, and that you would allow my voice to give utterance to the words that you want spoken here today. Father, um, we didn't come to hear Ben's words this morning. We came to hear your word. So Holy Spirit, inspire me this morning to speak your word and to divide it rightly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what Paul is doing here is he started this passage with a therefore. Now, we have spent the past couple weeks in chapter 2. Thomas ministered verses 1 through 3 a couple Sundays ago, which were talking about what we were. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were sons and daughters of disobedience. We were completely and totally lost and dead without Christ. Let's, Let's just take a moment and let's make sure that we remind ourselves of just how dead you are or you were. If you're not a believer, I'm sorry, but that first statement was right. You're dead. Spiritually, you're dead. If you are a believer, then you've been made alive. So one of the things that we have to make sure that we remember is that before Christ, before I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and surrendered my life to Him, I was not treading water needing Jesus to rescue me. I was not sinking slowly in my sin, needing him to throw me a life raft. That's not who I was in sin. I was dead. 
I wasn't just barely hanging on to life, needing the Savior to reach down and grab me and, and cling to this little bit of spiritual life I had apart from Him. No, I needed the Savior to come and rescue me from death. I needed Him to come and pay the penalty and the price for my sin so that I would no longer be spiritually dead, but be good, be made alive in and through Jesus Christ. So, verses 4 through 10 is what we covered last week, and that began to tell us what we are. And we started looking at how Christ has done all of these things, that He's raised us up with Christ, that God has seated us with Christ in heavenly places, that He has made us His righteousness, that we see all of these things that we are in Jesus Christ. So Paul has taken the first 10 verses, this one statement, this one run-on sentence that he used to remind us, and he told us, this is what you were, this is now what you are. So Paul goes into this second half of chapter 2, and he wants to remind us, hey, I just told you what you were, and I just told you what you are. Now let, re let me remind you of what you were, and let me remind you of what you are. It's kind of like the old teaching and preaching mechanisms that say you need to tell them what you're going to tell them, you need to tell them what you want to tell them, then you need to remind them what you just told them. So this is what Paul's doing here, and he begins the statement with, therefore. And again, we know that if you see a therefore in Scripture, you ask, what's it? Therefore. Right. So Paul is now, once he makes that statement, he begins to talk to the Gentiles. And we remember in chapter 1 that he kind of addressed this a little bit, that he was at one point making a little bit of a difference in his references between Gentiles and Jews. So Jews were God's chosen people, was the nation of Israel, was of Hebrew descent. And the Gentiles basically was this big group of people that just meant everybody else. It wasn't a certain ethnicity, it wasn't a certain race, it wasn't a certain background, it wasn't a socioeconomic standing. It was just, there were the Jews and then everybody else. And we're going to clump them together and we'll call them Gentiles. And what Paul begins to do is he begins to tell them, hey, you once were alienated, but now you're brought in. You once were without hope, without peace, but now through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are brought in. And he's making this statement not only to the Gentiles, but he's making it to the Jews also because there was a, a real struggle of the two groups acclimating to one another. Imagine that. People not getting along. Now let's go even further. Imagine that. People bickering in the church. What? Now I, uh, I, I've shared with you before that I am a uh, Chicago Cubs fan. Okay? Die-hard Chicago Cubs fan since 1984. I've got the little lapel pin to prove it that I'm a die-hard Cubs fan. All right, 1984. Finally, 2016, we broke through, but I, I've got to move on from that and stop living in the past because we are the Cubs again. You Reds fans know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, too far? I go too far? Okay. So, but anyhow, growing up as a Chicago Cubs fan, there was this one team. I mean, I dislike a couple teams, but there was really just this one team. And this is going to be something that, that me as a Cubs fan, any of you Reds fans in here, we can relate and we can agree on this topic. St. Louis Cardinals. Ugh. No. Okay? 
If you're a Cardinals fan, I would like to introduce you to my friend called Jesus. <laughs> but I have this natural disdain towards St. Louis. Okay? Now, there is a, another pastor in our community that is a diehard St. Louis fan, so you all pray for him. All right? I'm not going to name him, but it's Bradley Cotton uh, at, at Oak Grove. So pray for him on several different levels, but the Cardinal thing for sure. So, I'm a Cubs fan, he's a Cardinal fan. There's a rivalry there. Okay? How many of you in here, if you're a native Graysonite like myself, how many of you graduated from East Carter? Let me, let me see your hands. Okay. How many of you graduated from West Carter? Okay, there's, there's a couple. It's, it's all right. Jesus loves you all too. It's fine. It's fine. But there's a rivalry there. Okay? And when I was helping coach middle school basketball, like the girls that I was helping to coach, they would all be buddy-buddy on the floor with the West Carter girls. I'm like, what are you doing? We don't do that. We're decent human beings to them off the court, but we don't do that on the court. And if you're a UK fan in here, let me tell you, there's something about red and the Cardinals in the same thing, right? Like Louisville, like, no, 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 no. But I want to interject something. If, my, if me and Bradley Cotton go to a conference together, if I have difficulty sitting next to my brother who is a Cardinals fan with me being a Cubs fan, and if there's a problem and an issue with me being able to worship beside of him, then there's a problem in my relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're an East Carter alumni and you're sitting next to a West Carter, a gasp if you married one, Talking to the Green family back here. All right, Jacob? If you have difficulty sitting next to them and worshiping with them, worshiping God with them because of your rivalry, you have an issue. You may want to check the status for your relationship with Jesus. So let's take this a little bit past some of the more humorous, lighthearted ones. If you're in here this morning and you're a Republican and you have trouble sitting next to a Democrat, and worshiping God, or vice versa, a Democrat sitting next to a Republican, and you can't sit next to your brother and sister in Christ and worship God, you've got a problem. There is division. And division does not come from God. Amen? Let's go a little further, and let's see if I can get myself in real trouble. If you're in here this morning, and you are a believer in Christ and you're an all lives matter, or a black lives matter, or a blue lives matter person in that movement, and you're sitting next to a brother or sister in Christ who may identify with another movement and, and kind of support that, and you can't worship God while sitting next to them because of the movement that they represent or that they believe in doesn't match yours, guess what? There's a problem there. Christ has to be our focus. Period. And Paul is calling for unity amongst the church here in Ephesus. He's saying that we can no longer have Jews versus Gentiles. We can no longer have people who, who believe this way and who believe this way in their past and when they come together that they, they can't worship God. Now I'm not telling you that we have to agree on everything. I don't live in that utopian society where the hung, hunger games things take place, okay? I don't believe that. 
We're going to disagree on things. But if we can't agree on the blood of Jesus Christ and Him being the only way to heaven and Him being the reason that we're here, that we're alive, and that all of our focus can go to Him as we put aside everything else we disagree on, then maybe, just maybe, we need to be reflective on just how healthy our relationship with Jesus is. We okay in here this morning? We, we, we good? So, no, we're not good. All right. It's honesty, all right? Good. All right, so let's go back and let's look at verses 6 and 7, some of them that we covered last week, because I want to introduce to you a thought that I believe is true with all division that we face as believers. If there's division in the house, then I believe there's a foundational cause. There's many, but I believe that, that there's one, and I want to talk to you about it this morning. At the foundation of every division that comes our way is a difference in perspective. It's a difference in perspective. I see things one way, you see things another way. And that is a root foundational cause of division. So let's look back at verses 6 and 7 here. It says, And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So there's a couple things that God's done for us here. And the one that I want to concentrate on for a few moments is the fact that he has seated us. That's verse 6, that he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not smart enough to know the depths of exactly everything that this passage means. And I don't want to get all mystical and, and, and out there with us this morning, but I do want to interject, and I, I, I kind of want to submit to you at least one thing that I believe this truth should reveal to us, that if we are believers in Jesus Christ, if we're sons and daughters, redeemed, purchased by the blood of the Lamb, forgiven, then we all have one thing in common, that we're seated with Him in heavenly places. Now, at the very base of that, at the very bare minimum, us being seated with Him means that we at least have access to His perspective. Does that make sense? That if we're seated with Him, then at the basic level, that means that at minimum, we have access to His perspective. And let me ask you something. As we are going through Trials, tribulations, turmoil, things in this world, whose perspective usually turns out to be more, more beneficial for us? My perspective or his perspective? His perspective, right? So I want us to understand this morning that if you're here, and you call yourself a Christian, if you've been forgiven, if you've repented, if you've been redeemed, if you've been baptized, if you've been sealed by God, then He's raised you up with Him in heavenly places. So we at least have access to His perspective on things. So what does that look like? Let, let's, let's kind of get practical here this morning. How do we know that we're using His perspective and not ours? I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I want to pause right there for just a second. <laughs> uh, this is not my main point out of reading this, but I can't let this go by without telling you this. Notice that presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, is actually basic-level Christianity. That's entry-level Christianity. Laying yourself as a complete and total sacrifice out to God on His altar is the entry steps into Christianity. We think that it's something major. It's like, oh God, I'm laying myself down. You know, I'm giving everything up. Yeah, that's, that's what you do from day one. But understand, you being a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that is your spiritual worship. Some translations say that is your reasonable service. So verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I want to give you just a few practical steps that I think we see scripturally on how do we know that we're living a life of a renewed mind. Because that's what it's going to take to have his perspective. If we want to look at Ephesians 2, verse 6, and say that he raised me with Christ and I'm seated with Christ, then that's going to require us to renew our minds. If we want to stay walking in his perspective, if we want to continue to see things through God's eyes, then we need to make sure that we're renewing our mind and we're living that way. It's not just momentary glimpses of it. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24. 22, again, Paul talks about, hey, this is what you were. And in verse 24, he says, but this is what you are. And he gives us a conduit in verse 23, and he says that you've been renewed by the spirit of your mind. So us to walk the way that Christ wants us to walk for him, and for us to walk in this place of being seated with him, Having that perspective is going to require us to renew our minds over and over and over again. Because I don't know if it's worked for you guys, but there's never been one time that I've re renewed my mind once, and I've been good, man. Been good. I think the Apostle Paul had the exact same struggle that we have with this, because he says that he instructs us to take every thought captive. every thought captive you know and 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 i'll insert this really quickly it, the part of the process of taking thoughts captive has to be getting rid of the thoughts that he doesn't want you to have because if we're taking every thought captive and it's just storing up, storing up, storing up, storing up in our heads eventually that captivity cell is going to get full and it's going to start flooding out again that's called renewing your mind that's called leaning on him for understanding and i love the the, the scripture where they were talking about but don't you know that you have the mind of christ we have access to see things through his perspective so what are some things in your life 
that may be indicators to you as to if your mind's being renewed and if you're living in a renewed mindset. Now, again, I'm going to give you some things, and these are practical steps. These are, these are mile markers. Okay, When you're going down the road, you see mile markers, and it tells you either you're going up in number or down in number. I've never once been on a trip to Owensboro to see my daughter and stop at the 85-mile marker on the Western Kentucky Parkway, pull over and go, well, we made it. It's a good, good trip. Why? Because mile markers aren't our destination. But mile markers are an indicator that we're going the right way, that we're on the right road, that our journey is headed in the proper direction. And make no mistake about it, folks. God, He wants you to renew your mind. He wants, to, he wants you to be made new. God is not so much interested in you modifying your behavior to be better. God's, God's concern is the transformation of your heart. God wants to transform your life. And from a transformed life, then you, your behavior comes in line with that. You can't modify your behavior to become good enough to be transformed. Only He can do that. So don't make a mistake. I'm not, I'm not saying that you know, any type of behavior is okay. It's not. But God wants to transform us and from the transformation comes our behavior in line. So the first indicator, the first mile marker, is if you're in living with a renewed mind, is that you live a life with unshakable hope. You live a life of unshakable hope. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, not 1 Timothy. 1 Peter chapter 1, talks about this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So much so that at the beginning of the pandemic, back in March of last year, we were in the middle of a series on Daniel. That first Sunday that we came in here to, to video, because we went online only just like everyone else did, there was something that checked in my spirit. It may have been the second week. I can't remember if the first week. <laughs> 2020 was kind of a blur. I don't know if you were there or not. But. but there was a moment that while we were in Daniel, I stopped right in the middle of, of the, <laughs> with the camera sitting right there. And I said, this isn't what God wants. And I said, you're going to have to give me a little bit of time. And I went back and after a short time had, had passed, I come back out and I said, I know where we need to be. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1. Because it's about Jesus Christ being our living hope and our source and the things that we draw from. Because you know what? We needed to be, we needed to be assured then. We needed to be reminded then because all of this chaos was taking place. We didn't know what COVID did. We didn't know what was going to happen. We couldn't find toilet paper. We didn't know. We needed a source of hope that went beyond everything that we saw happening. This illusion of control that we thought we lived our lives with was ripped out from underneath us in a moment. And we needed a hope, a source of hope that was unchanging, unwavering, never questioned. 
And we find that in Jesus Christ. Folks, can I tell you today, you need to be reminded of that today just as much as you did a year ago. You're going to need that as much tomorrow as what you did a year ago. You're going to need it next month and next year and however long the Lord tarries. You're going to need to understand that no matter what's going on around me, no matter what's collapsing, no matter what's falling apart, no matter what's in shambles and lying in just a heap of rubble in my life, I still have a hope that goes beyond anything that this world has to offer me or has in store for me, and that is Jesus Christ. When you operate with a renewed mind, day in, day out, doesn't mean things aren't going to be terrible at times. That that does mean that you have a source of hope that is unshakable. The second thing is you live a life of peace. The Apostle Paul states that there is a peace that passes all understanding. And even in this passage that we read today, it's talking about Paul mentions a couple times this peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And you know what? When you have that unshakable source of hope, then this area of peace is much easier to settle into because you understand that everything that happens happens for God's glory and your good. Whether it seems good or not, it's for His glory and for our good. But make no mistake, it's His glory first. But we have this peace that passes all understanding, which means that my hope is not shaken in Jesus Christ because I have a peace that goes beyond all of this other stuff that I don't understand. And like the passage that Kendi read earlier, whenever the winds and waves are crashing, we still serve one that can say, peace, be still. And those wind and waves that they faced at that point, they were not lesser troubles than what we face in our lives today. There's nothing too big for God to say, peace, be still in. And on a side note, here's the struggle that we have with it. Sometimes we have difficulty in the direction with which God speaks that. Because we always want God to speak peace into the situation. What if He's trying to speak peace into you in the midst of the situation? What if God's will isn't to calm the storm around you, but to calm you in the midst of the storm? Remember, it's for His glory and for our good. Thirdly, we live with a renewed mind. We live with this understanding that it's in our weaknesses that He's made strong. That we don't feel like we have to have everything put together. We don't feel like we have to have everything right. Folks, we'll sit in here and we'll make the statements of you don't have to have your life together to come to Jesus Christ. And we all accept that. But for some reason, when we get on the other side of that, we beat ourselves up and we feel like that we, we let the enemy come in and do his work in our lives because we feel like at that point we've got to have it all together. No, we don't have to have it all together once we get saved, but we do have to follow the one who does. We do have to depend on the one who is perfect. We can't be perfect. We can't be strong in moments, but you know what? In my weaknesses, when I lean on Him, when I focus on Him, when I depend on Him, that's when He's made strong in my life. So there's this renewal that takes place. We live in forgiveness is another mile marker. 
We live in forgiveness. We do not keep record of wrong. We forgive quickly. We forget absolutely. I don't believe that. Look at Scripture. Bitterness and unforgiveness are two of the most toxic elements that a believer can face. And guess what? If you're walking in bitterness and if you're walking in unforgiveness, you're not walking in the ways of Jesus Christ. You're walking in the way of an enemy that has deceived you into thinking that that flag that you're waving, demanding forgiveness, demanding justice, demanding vengeance for the wrongs that have been perceived by me, if I can't forgive, Scripture says, then he's not obligated to forgive me. Lastly, You live a life of gratitude. You live a life of gratitude. That you're thankful for what you have. You recognize and you see first what you have instead of looking around at what you do not have. Looking around to see what else God has given someone else that you've been praying for. Anybody ever fall into that trap? I have far too many times. See, when we live a life of gratitude, there's a confidence that rises up in us. Now understand this mile marker. When I say confidence, I'm not talking about arrogance. But I'm talking about when Paul says that I am confident or I am assured in Him who has saved me, in Him who has redeemed me. My confidence, my boast, is in Him. Nothing in me. So when we are walking with renewed minds, when we're walking towards this unity and we're stepping away from the division, then we live a life that has an unshakable source of hope. It has a sense of peace that surrounds it. It has grace and mercy and forgiveness built into it. It has us recognizing that it's His strength that we need to be leaning on and not our own. Again, mile markers that leads us deeper into our relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to ask the praise team if they would to to come up at this time. If I'm going back to Ephesians chapter 2 real quick, a couple phrases in here. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing walls of hostility. If there's a dividing wall of hostility in your life towards someone else, then guess what? That's not of God. Because he's torn down the dividing walls in the flesh of hostility. And then in verse 16, it says, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Folks, make no mistake. Whenever there's division, whenever there's hostility in your life towards someone else, especially towards another believer, that is something that the enemy has resurrected in your life because Christ killed it on the cross 
please, please understand that how noble the cause. If it's erecting a dividing wall of hostility in your relationships, especially your relationships with fellow believers, that is a lie straight from the enemy.